0: Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. History of North America is part of the Salem Web Network's Parthenon Group of History Podcasts. Let's pause our series storyline and listen to a sample of James Early's Key Battles of American
1: History. We are going to focus on key leaders in the war. We're going to tell you what happened to just the top of the top leaders after the war and what went on with their career and their life, and when did they die and how old were they? Albert Speer of the Nazi regime survived the war and the immediate
2: aftermath of the war. So Albert Speer was the minister of armaments. He was basically sort of the architect of the Third Reich in in a lot of ways, in terms of physically the architect. After the war, Speer was among the 24, quote, major war criminals who were arrested and charged with crimes of the Nazi regime at the Nuremberg trials. He was found guilty of war crimes and crimes against humanity, principally for the use of slave labor, because the Germans, the Nazis, used slave labor in, in armaments and in programs throughout their existence. He narrowly avoided a death sentence. He served his full term, and he was released in 1966. He used his writings from the time of his imprisonment as the basis for two autobiographical books, Inside the Third Reich and Spandau, The Secret Diary. Spandau was the prison where the lead Nazis were imprisoned. Speer's books were a success. The public was fascinated by an inside view of the Third Reich. He died of a stroke in 1981 at the age of 76. Now, more recent scholarship has cast doubt on some of Speer's recollection, and there was criticism that he whitewashed his own role in things. His recollections of private discussions with Hitler are especially problematic because we only have his word to go by. Private conversation between him and Hitler, the only person that would have witnessed it would have been Hitler and himself. And you see this in a scene in Downfall where Speer tells Hitler, I have been secretly countermanding your orders and preventing your orders to destroy Germany throughout for the last multiple months. And that came directly out of Speer's book. He claimed he had that discussion with Hitler and told him. And there's no way really to prove it, because he's dead, and it was only his work, and Hitler wasn't there to counterman him. In some cases, there were conversations with Goebbels and Hitler, where you could go by Goebbels' diaries, because Goebbels was a fanatical diarist, so he wrote down to pretty much everything that happened. The last German we're going to talk about is Heinz Guderian. Heinz Guderian surrendered to the United States Armed Forces on May the 10th, 1945, and he was interned until 1948. He was released without charge and retired to write his memoirs. These memoirs were entitled Panzer Leader, and this autobiography became a bestseller and is widely read to this day. Guderian's writings promoted several postwar myths, including that of the "clean Wehrmacht," which is. That the Wehrmacht was not guilty of all the crimes, it was really the SS and the Nazis, and that the army was somehow only doing their soldiers' duties. Well, in his autobiography, Guderian portrayed himself as the sole originator of the German Panzer Force. He was not, but he was one of the major theorists, so he does deserve some credit for that. And he omitted any mentions of crimes that he may have authorized or condoned, and... There's controversy about that, whether or not he actively allowed his troops to commit war crimes or not, and we'll never really know the answer to that question. He was fired multiple times by Hitler, that's for sure, and kept getting brought back. Guderian died in 1954 at the age of 65, and he's kind of a popular figure among military theorists, especially because he was very well-written. He wrote books before the war as
1: well. Okay, let's move on to the Soviets now, and of course, we're going to start at the top with Joseph Stalin. After the war, Stalin started another reign of terror, purges, executions, exiles to labor camps, and persecution in the post-war USSR. After the war, he suppressed all dissent, anything that smacked of foreign, especially Western influence. Stalin also famously, as we talked about last time, established communist governments throughout Eastern Europe. And in 1949, he led the Soviets into the nuclear age by exploding an atomic bomb. In 1950, he gave North Korea's communist leader, Kim Il-sung, permission to invade the United States-supported South Korea, and that triggered the Korean War. In the late 1940s, Stalin's health began to decline, and he died of a stroke in 1953 at the age of 74. His body was embalmed and preserved in Lenin's mausoleum in Moscow's Red Square until 1961. He and Lenin were there side by side until 1961. It was removed and buried near the Kremlin walls as part of the de-Stalinization process initiated by Stalin's successor Nikita Khrushchev. Let's move on to Georgy Zhukov, the same general commander in
2: the front. After the war, his success and popularity caused Stalin to see him as a potential threat. He stripped Zhukov of his positions, relegated him to military commands of little strategic significance. After Stalin's death in 1953, Zhukov supported Nikita Khrushchev's bid for Soviet leadership. Previously, Khrushchev had sort of been a toady to Stalin, or had worked his way up to one of the chief toadies of Stalin. When Stalin died, Zhukov supported Khrushchev, and this blocked an attempt by the head of the secret police and a genuine monstrous person, Beria, to succeed Stalin. Beria tried to assume power or work his way into power, and he was stopped, and stopped quite violently by Zhukov. Allegedly, Zhukov fired the bullet that killed Beria. In 1955, Zhukov was appointed as defense minister, and he was made a member of the Presidium, which was sort of the high council of the Communist Party and Soviet government. 1957, though, he lost favor again, and he was forced to retire. He never returned a position of influence, and he died in 1974 at the age of 77. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free.
0: You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth.
2: Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now 800 218 6010.
0: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
1: Okay, moving on to another successful Soviet general, Ivan Konev. Konev replayed Marshal Zhukov as commander of Soviet ground forces in 1946. In 1956, he was appointed commander of the Warsaw Pact Armed Forces, and he led the Prague Spring, which was in 1968. In 1961, as commander of Soviet forces in East Germany, he ordered the closing of West Berlin to East Berlin during the building of the Berlin Wall. Boy, he had his hand in a lot of major Cold War events.
2: Well, he would have also been in command. Well, he wouldn't have been in command of the Warsaw Pact. He would have been in command of Soviet forces during the, the Berlin crisis in '48. Yeah, so he was
1: definitely dead. He remained a popular military figure in the Soviet Union until his death in 1973 at the age of 75. Okay, let's move on to the British now. And of course, we're going to have to start at the beginning with Winston Churchill. Okay, sorry. That's my last bad Churchill imitation. All right. So Churchill was defeated in the prime minister election of July 1945. But after that, he continued to lead the conservative party and he served as leader of the opposition for six years. On March 5, 1946, Churchill gave his famous Iron Curtain speech, and some people consider this to be the unofficial start of the Cold War. In the 1951 general election, the Conservatives won an overall majority of 17 seats, and Churchill again became Prime Minister. In his second term as Prime Minister, Churchill continued to oppose the spread of Soviet influence and worked to build a solid foundation of friendship and cooperation between Britain and America. On the evening of June 23, 1953, Churchill suffered a serious stroke and became partially paralyzed down one side. The matter was kept secret, and by November, he had fully recovered. Queen Elizabeth knighted Churchill in 1953. Churchill retired as Prime Minister in April 1955 and was succeeded by his Foreign Minister, Anthony Eden. Churchill died in January 1965 at the age of 90. Churchill is generally considered to be one of the greatest British prime ministers, if not the greatest, in history. Polls of the British people have consistently ranked him as the greatest Briton of all time. His history of the English-speaking peoples and his books on the two world wars are considered masterpieces. I've actually not read them myself. I'm assuming you probably have, Sean.
2: Yeah, I've read several of them. The books on the two world wars, especially in the Second World War, is from his perspective, that's for sure. So you have to take yeah, that take it with it, a slight grain of salt, Slight grain of salt of how much he predicted everything that happened. But he's a magnificent writer. But the English speaking people, sometimes he goes off into rabbit holes like he does like a whole of uh, that one. He, he goes deep into the American Civil War, which is odd, but it's, it's yeah. a, <laughs> very deep.
1: Well, I was going to say one other thing, a couple of things, too. One thing is that if you want to see a good portrayal of Churchill in this second term in the early 50s, watch The Crown, the Netflix original series, The Crown, which is just top notch. And he's prime ministered through, I think, pretty much the first season. He's played by John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. Interesting choice. We've talked a million times about British actors playing American roles or Australians, but yeah. here you have an American playing a Brit and... But he does a very good job. He's way too tall. But other than that, and he's right about the right age, too. So another thing I was going to say, isn't it interesting, Sean, that this man drank enough alcohol to put all the rest (laughs) of us under the table and he lived to be 90. And (laughs) smoked cigars, too. I know.
0: Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. Join me next time as we resume our regular series narrative. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.